What's up guys, Pastor John here. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey and we believe that God has an incredible plan for your life and our hope is that tools like this sermon will help you become who he has created you to be. Now listen, in order to truly flourish and thrive like God intends for your life, it takes community. What I mean by that is we don't believe that simply by attending church online alone that you're going to be able to become every bit of who God has created you to be and who you want to be to grow spiritually. You need other people. And we would love to help you connect with other people right here at Greenhouse. True growth happens when we're rooted in a community that supports, uplifts, and walks alongside us. And so with that in mind, we would love for you to join us in person on Sundays right here at Western High School or in microchurches throughout the week. Um, listen, if you don't live near our church here in South Florida, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find and thrive in a local faith community near you. We're excited to partner with you as we all become passionate followers of Jesus. God bless you. Turn your neighbor and say, open heaven. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians and we're looking at lessons that we can glean and learn from this Corinthian church to our modern Greenhouseian church. Last week, we had our generosity adventure. We sort of dialogued on the subject that our world's approach to finances is broken empirically and based off of the data. God's approach to finances looks broken to this world, but actually helps make us whole. If you missed it online, Guyana in the room, I'd encourage you to check that out if you would like to hear God's financial wisdom because he's pretty good with money. I'd encourage you to do that. This week, we are back in the book of 1 Corinthians talking marriage and singleness. How many married people in the room one time for the married people? Woo! Single people in the room one time. Look around. This is your shot. This is your shot. Oh, you missed it. You missed it. Hey, shout out. We got some newlyweds. Crew, shout out to AJ and Anissa who got married. A little family backyard wedding as well as to David and Vicky who might be here and next door. Shout out some of our leaders. We celebrate with you. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that is where we are going to be. We had a delightful Black Friday surprise. It was a Miami Dolphins victory. They vanquished the quarterbackless New York Jets. Sorry to Danny and all of the Ramirez tribe. But not sorry, because it was glorious. All right, chapter 7, if you're ready, say, let's do this. Paul is writing, remember, to the church at Corinth, and he has just dealt with the subject of sexual immorality. And so now they're like, well, what do we do? And he's like, well, this is what you do. He says, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. You're like, say what? That's what he has said. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married, I give this command, ah, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, now this is I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, their children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances, for God has called us to live in peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Verse 17, nevertheless, this is important, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to live in. This is the rule that I lay down in all of the churches, and we'll jump forward to verse 32, and then we'll jump into the conversation this morning. I would like you to be, what does it say? Free from concern. Paul's like, let me just explain while I'm writing this. It is not to spoil your fun. I want you to live free from concern concern. An unmarried man or person is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion. Everybody say undivided devotion. God's vision for your life is a flourishing that comes from undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, help 
please. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. You can find your seat. Everybody worked off the turkey yet? Yeah, mostly, sort of. I like it. Shout out to the Thanksgiving workout people. I'm gonna start like this. Have you ever struggled to understand the purpose behind something? Like the why? How many of you are just rule followers? You're like, give me a rule and I dare you, I will follow it. Any rule followers? Okay, a few of us. How many of you are like, ah, even right now, you're like, I'm not gonna answer that question because I'm not quite sure I wanna, like any, any like, I see the gray in the rules. Okay, Grant, I see you. I'm kind of in that boat. I remember, you guys remember when airplane mode come, came out on, on smartphones? You remember when this happened? Uh, prior to that point, uh, I got a, uh, a former airplane, you know, mover shaker in here. Uh, prior to that point, they made a huge deal about not having your cell phone on on an airplane, right? It was something with the way it would mess with the interference and data and radar and we're all gonna die. So like, don't turn your phone on for the love of God. You're like, okay, I get it. And then they came out with airplane mode. Now I am not a, a rocket scientist, but I quickly deduced that the point of airplane mode was to do what? Use your phone while on an airplane. Now, I, I assume this was rather logical, but on my first flight with airplane mode, which came out, by the way, on the iPhone first, because that is the technology that God has chosen and elected. That's not the point. It doesn't matter. It's fine. But, I, you know, I turned on airplane mode. I'll pray for you. I turned on airplane mode, and I remember, you're like, why? I don't know. Uh, pray for your pastor. I remember I turned on airplane mode, and they, they went on their little diatribe that the stewardess did, or the, you know, the flight attendant, like, hey, you know, you got to turn on your phone. We're all going to die if you don't turn your phone off. And I, you know, I had my headphones in airplane mode. And I remember the flight attendant came up to me like, sir, you need to turn your phone off. I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's on airplane mode. And they're like, no, no, but it messes with the radar and you, and, and, you know, we're all going to die. So you need to turn your phone off. I was like, no, I get, I totally appreciate the we're going to die thing. Don't want that to happen. That'd be a bummer, but it's on airplane mode. Like it's, it, and I showed the, like the mode is created for the said purpose of the moment right now, which is an airplane. And I was sitting next to my wife and she is rolling her eyes. She is much more of a rule follower than I am. I'm just like, this is, I get it, but like airplane mode. And she just wasn't happy. And I was like, no. And I started going back and forth. And, and my wife is like elbowing me at this point. Like I, I sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me and it sounded strangely like Nancy Lash. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Ugh. fine. And I turned my phone off. It had to be months later, I guess the, the wheels of justice turn slowly in the FAAA regulations. They finally, now when you get on an airplane, what do they say? Turn your phone off or put it in airplane mode. I was just ahead of the times. I was, I was, you know, I was a trender. Why are you telling that story? It just feels good to get it out. It's like group therapy. I need you all to realize I was right here, although I was not particularly godly in that moment. Um, but I remember like, I, I just, the purpose of the airplane mode is for the airplane people. What are we doing here? This is crazy. And, and I tell this story because God has a unique purpose for where you're at in life right now. Wherever you are employed, somewhat or mostly gainfully, wherever you are in school, passing or C's for degrees, like whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, in whatever relational status you might be in, single, married, or stuck somewhere between the two, it's not a coincidence. You are not in the place that you are, are in simply by happenstance. You are there, the, the theological term would be God's sovereignty. God has a big, master, amazing plan for your life, and there is divine purpose for the place you are in and the season that you're in, which means that it is not simply a season to pass through as quickly as you can. It is an opportunity to glorify God. Amen? We would realize this, that God has this amazing plan. He has these good works that he's prepared in advance for us to walk in, which means whatever season you're in, it's not like God forgot about you and left you to your own devices. Thank the Lord for that. He's actually got a plan. If we want to tie it back to the message a few weeks ago, if, if sexuality is not just about the sex acts, but it's pointing to a deeper longing in the human heart for intimacy and connection, maybe, just maybe, your relationships are not simply about the people in your immediate connections, but they're about something bigger too, namely God's greater purpose and his glory in and through your life. 
So what I wanna do in these next few moments we have together is I wanna hit on some of the biblical principles that Paul unpacks in relation to marriage and singleness and how they apply in those various seasons. Are you ready? All right, so let's start where we all start, single. Some of you are like, where I've been stuck for what feels like wandering in the Exodus. Okay, we'll pray for you. Number one, God's purpose in singleness. God's purpose in singleness. Jumping back into the passage, and we'll go back to verse seven. Paul writes, he says, I wish, now, now remember, Paul was a lifer. He was a single dude for life. And he says, I wish that all of you were as I am. You're like, I don't receive that, Pastor John. That is not what I want you to prophesy over my life. Okay, I'm just saying what he wrote. I'm not prophesying it. He said, I wish you all were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. He writes, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, let me just say right off the jump, a good chunk of this entire chapter is crazy talk to our modern culture and our world. Like, can we just acknowledge this is crazy? Like, this absolutely seems like foolishness. This seems like some archaic, antiquated format for thinking about life and relational connectivity and who in the world could do this. Can I just propose that maybe like we've already found with our modern cultural approaches, they are not working as well as we would assume. And God is kind of smart and maybe knows what he's talking about, maybe. Maybe? Maybe. Okay. Thank you, Linda. You're with me. Maybe. It, it sounds like crazy talk. He said, man, you know what? I'm just going to let you know because I love you, Paul says. I'm going to let you know. I think it's better for everyone if you just stay like me, successfully single. He said, I think that's, that's better if you just stay off like me, which means according to Paul and the Bible, and check this because this is very important to wrestle with in this current moment. According to Paul and the scriptures, singleness is not an affliction like we often feel or like our culture teaches that it is. In fact, Paul says later that singleness, he actually calls singleness a gift. You're like, it does not feel like much of a gift in my life right now. Okay. There are challenges in every life season, but he calls singleness a gift. Why? He unpacks it later in verse 32. Jump later into the chapter with me. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. There's a challenge, there's a new complexity that comes into one's life. He says an unwearied woman, her, her, she's uh, concerned about the Lord's affairs, how to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please your husband. And I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided, and there it is, devotion to the Lord. Now, this is important to unpack and wrestle with because in our current cultural moment, whether you're in Guyana or America or wherever you might be watching even online, society says that singleness is a problem that must be remedied and often remedied at all costs. That is the villain of our current cultural framework. Society says singleness is the villain, solution is marriage or some sort of long-term relationship, and the Bible actually says that is not the case. The Bible says singleness is not the problem. Do you remember from a couple weeks ago what the problem is? Loneliness. Scripture says in Genesis, it is not good for man to be single. No, no. It says it's not good for man to be alone. Now our society has conflated loneliness as the only solution being an ultimately marriage or some sort of long-term relationship, but that is not what the Bible says is the core issue. How many of you have met miserable married people? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you are one, okay? So you just keep that down. I wanna bless your marriage, okay? We've all, we all know this intuitively. Marriage is not the key to happiness. Can I get an amen? It can be a beautiful, amazing thing, and I'm happily married, but marriage is not the solution in and of itself, which means the problem is not singleness. The problem is loneliness. Again, just like intimacy and sex, it's not the same thing. Paul says that in your singleness, God has a unique cosmic design that once again, because he loves you, is for your flourishing. Your design in your singleness is to grow in God and pursue and seek first his kingdom. 
Now this yet again runs in opposition to our modern cultural framework for singleness. The thought is when you're single, you pursue you, your life, your interests, your career, your status, your success. You stack up the cash and you chase success and you climb the ladder, you go after you. And what the scripture says is actually that's not how you were designed to thrive. And we've all met people, we talked a few weeks ago, when you just go after you, the, the data comes back, you don't flourish and thrive. That does not work. Paul says the reason for your unique season, ah, didn't mean to rhyme, but I like it. The reason for that season is to pursue the Lord with undivided devotion. Everybody say undivided devotion. Undivided devotion. Your singleness is not intended for you to chase success and climb the corporate ladder. Your singleness is designed for you to use that additional freedom and liberty that you have as a single person to chase God with all that you have. I would love it if this week, online, in the room, Guyana, I'd love it if this week you took some time and read through all of 1 Corinthians 7 and just let it mess with you a little bit, because it will. I, I remember reading this chapter as a college student, and I'm like, I, I met Jesus right before the summer before my senior year of high school. I was an idiot and running from God with track shoes on, and, and I'm like, he changed my life. I'm like, Jesus, you get everything, and then I'm in college, and I start reading 1 Corinthians 7, and man, it messed with me. I'm right, it's better if you remain as I am, Paul says. And I remember wrestling with this in college. In fact, I got to a point where I remember talking to one of the pastors, I was in Gainesville, which I don't wanna talk about Gainesville and football and any of that, it's too heartbreaking right now. But I was in Gainesville, FSU fans know what I'm talking about. I was in Gainesville and, uh, and I remember telling one of the pastors, he's like, hey man, are there any like, you know, girls on the horizon? I'm like, no man, I'm called to singleness. And he laughed in my face. <laughs> And he was like, John, I know you very well. There is no way you were called to singleness. I'm like, no, man. And I just remember, I'm like, Paul says it's better if you can stay as I am. I'm like, well, I'm gonna listen to him. It's in the Bible. God knows what he's talking about. I tried to do it my own way and ran my life into the ground. Like, I'm gonna listen to God. I'm like, man, and, and I got to this point where I'm like, I, I had a great community around me and I had awesome friends and we were living this adventure. And he's like, trust me, you're gonna get married. I was like, no, man, I don't think so. Um, now, obviously I was wrong and I have been married to 12 years, very happily with two children. We like being married, uh, apparently. And, uh, and so everything's good, but here, here's the point that I wanna make. Within that process, I had gotten to interact with, with several different people that were a couple years down the path ahead of me, and I realized that the key to life was not just getting in a relationship. The key to life was getting deeper in a relationship with God and finding deep community and being on that process of discovery. And what I had stumbled upon, which I realized now in retrospect, was what the Bible calls contentment. Everybody say contentment. I would argue that one of the keys to life that scripture unpacks is contentment. And you need it when you're single and you definitely need it when you're married if you're gonna stay married. Contentment. Paul says, I have learned to abase and to be abound. And in another one of his epistles, he says, I have learned in all things to be content. Contentment is not something that comes hardwired into our frame. It's something we learn. But what I had found is content. I remember getting to a point where I'm like, probably close to like my senior year of college. I was like, yeah, I think I do want to be married at some point. I'm like, but Lord, if I never get married, I'm good with that. And I'm good with you. And it was probably like six months later, I've met this fine Bodiqua named Nancy, disciple maker. And I was like, dang, this girl's amazing. And the rest is history. You've heard. But I remember being in that spot and and in this season of, of singleness, some of you guys, Kayla, you remember we were friends back in college and I was living in this and I was just like, I'm not gonna get married. I'm not being in a relationship. I'm like, I, 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 I didn't walk in that way, but I got that way reading some of the scriptures like this. And, and, and I remember I, I sort of went in with the approach of like, man, I'm gonna like find the one, the person that I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with and all this hallmark spirituality that we, and really quickly, I feel like the Holy Spirit was like, why don't you learn to be the one first? I'm like, ooh. That's probably a good idea. And as I began the journey with God, I realized I had issues. And before I was gonna bring myself to the person that I thought I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with, I probably needed to know myself a lot more than I did. 
And so in this, in this season of just pursuing the Lord, had awesome adventures with God, all sorts of incredible moments with Jesus. Because I was not looking to be in a dating relationship, I had some friends who were ladies, sisters in Christ, who realized that, you know, because they knew I wasn't trying to go anywhere relationally, they were like, they were just very honest with me. And they helped me in all sorts of ways. Erica Gale sings on our worship team. She was like, hey, um, you need some help with your wardrobe. I was like, how dare you? She's like, you have five t-shirts and you wear them in rotation. Is this true, Kayla? You're laughing. I was like, I do not. And she named them. Boop, 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 boop. I was like, oh, wow. Now my wife dresses me. So it all works out, right? But, but I learned all of these things about myself. There was, there was issues that I had. There was things we all got stuff that we bring from our backgrounds and life experiences and childhood, whatever the case might be. And, and I learned that there was all of this work that needed to be done on the inside between me and Jesus, self-actualization, divine growth before I was ever going to be successful in any sort of long-term committed relationship or marriage. And as I look back, I thank God for that season because he used it to do so much and place things in me that I lacked and take things out of me that I did not need. And I had great mentors and friends who encouraged me on the path and, and other people that I was looking to who I watched them go through this season and maximize and, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna stay there. And by the grace of God, I did. But there was another path that I watched when I came into the University of Florida, there was a two to one girl to guy ratio. Two girls for every one guy. Like you don't have to be Casanova to find success in that environment, right? You just have to be breathing. And so I remember a lot of the guys, a lot of my contemporaries, they were just kind of from, the, from freshman year, they were on a mission and it was not God's glory. It was their union. It was their dating relationship. It was their eventual marriage. And so I watched other guys and they would go from, uh, from dating relationship to dating relationship to dating relationship and not all of them were bad, wrong, evil, or sinful. Some of them were great and, and, and they even glorified God in, in some way. And, and, I rem and finally, they were kind of going after their relational status goals and they were pursuing that. And, and that probably, they probably wouldn't have said that was the goal, but it was one of the core operating goals of their lives. And, and then many of these same guys, they, they got buried. They found that person. They found that one they were hoping for and... And I started to have a consistent recurring conversation at about the one year mark where these same individuals that were so happy would come back and say, how's it going, man, marriage? And they're like, man, I just, and it was something along the lines of with every single one, man, I just miss my freedom. I just feel so tied down. I just feel like I don't know who I am and I need to discover myself and I've got this person with me all the time. And I'm like, oh, you wanna be Single. Sorry. That season is gone. And I remember watching the tragedy, tragedy, that's a word, and it wasn't just men, to be fair, it was guys and ladies, who in their season that God had divinely orchestrated of singleness went full hard after a relationship and eventually marriage. And then when they got married, they found themselves in this camp longing to go back and be single. And this is the wisdom that Paul is unpacking. Whatever season you're in, give that season fully and entirely to the Lord. And when you do, you will not regret it in the next season. Thank God. I'm still a work in progress, but thank God some of my issues got worked out with my college friends and Nancy gets the benefit of that. And she's got enough issues. I mean, I can't even imagine. Seasons are powerful when you allow the Lord to work in them. I remember countless conversations talking to guys saying, man, I, I, I'm so sorry that what you're wanting is to be untethered right now, but you are tethered for life according to Jesus and your season of singleness was missed because you skipped it. Here's my point. Singleness isn't just a season to try to fast forward through. It's an opportunity for God to work in and through your life. So often in our cultural framework, we're always looking for, we're longing for, we're pushing for the next thing, whatever the next thing might be. Here's my plea and request to you, unmarried people, God's purpose for singleness, unmarried people, do not do that. Realize that in this moment, according to God's sovereignty, you are in the perfect spot at the perfect opportunity to learn and glorify God exactly where you stand and exactly the season you're in. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I want to say it again. Single people, if you're a single person in the room, online, in Guyana, eyes on me. This is my teacher voice now. Listen to me. If you cannot find fulfillment in Jesus before marriage, you will not magically find it 
after marriage. Married people, can I get an amen? If you find yourself conflicted with all of these issues before marriage, do not assume that your partner will miraculously fix you after marriage. That will not work. Your problem is deeper. Dig into that now. And if in God's sovereignty, he has a spouse for you down the road, your future spouse will thank you very much. In singleness, Paul says, live an undivided devotion to the Lord. You will not regret it. I'm I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Point number one is God's purpose in singleness, but to not leave out the married people. Point number two is this, God's purpose in marriage. One more time, married people, hands up in the air. If you're happy with your spouse, say, I love them. All right, trying to set you up. God's purpose in marriage, the first purpose is an overarching purpose, is to reflect the gospel, to reflect the gospel, the goodness of God, how God loves us and cares for us. Ephesians 5.25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The the purpose is so that when people look at your life, they're like, why are you so self-sacrificing, husbands? Say it again. Why are you self-sacrificing, husbands? Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church and gave himself. Just to be clear, the, the, the metaphor that we're given of marriage is husbands die. Like, oh, they feels that way sometimes. Yes. Yes. The, the world is supposed to look and be like, what? This is crazy. This is so different from how everyone else does marriage. Exactly. It's supposed to model the gospel, but it's more than just that. The, one of the purposes of marriage is God in his sovereignty has designed a team to engage in kingdom ministry. Deuteronomy 32 says if one can put a thousand to flight, two could put 10,000. In Ecclesiastes, it says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is the picture for marriage, this cord of three strands. Can anyone guess who the middle strand is there? It's husband and wife and Jesus, always the right answer in church, right? Jesus, it's husband and wife and Jesus. See, God's purpose in marriage is actually the same thing as singleness. God's glory, the gospel being made manifest, and people flourishing as a result. But now he's put it together as a permanent team with multiplicative impact. This means, listen to me, friends, If what you experience in your life is, man, I remember when I was single, God was working in my life, God was using me, I was a part of so much, there were so much awesome things happening, the kingdom was all around, and then you get married and you can't remember the last time God is using you, you are doing it wrong. Or at least maybe you need to recalibrate and ask God, Lord, what's your plan for us as a team? Now, there's no shame in this. All of hell is against marriage because marriage is ultimately meant to reflect the gospel and God's glory. But God's intention through marriage is that you get that multiplicative. One puts a thousand, man, can you imagine two? We've got some amazing kingdom dream team couples in this room that I'm like, oh my goodness, with your two gifts, complimentary, overlapping, covering one another's blind spots, like I can't even imagine what God can do. See, the biblical vision for marriage is the cord of three strands, which means that God is the center. Now, here's why this is key, and I need you to listen to me on this one, because no matter how amazing it's gonna be when you find your person, your person, no matter how amazing they are and how fresh their breath smells anytime you get around them, once you're with them long enough, you'll realize, and I don't mean to break your heart or shatter your bubble, but here's what you will learn. Brace yourself. They are not perfect. I I know, that's a perfect time for something to fall. They are not perfect. They're not perfect, they're actually a human, just like you. You're like, John, you mean they can't fulfill my every need? You are a black hole of need. There are limitless needs. Like, have you met you? Have you met me? Like, we are black holes of need. If you're going in thinking, man, once right now, I'm so sad. I feel so horrible and bad, and I want to be sensitive. There's, there's legitimate mental health issues and all sorts of struggles, and I get that, but I'm using sort of hyperbole here in an overarching way. Go with me with the humor. If you're like, man, I'm miserable, but when I, we use marriage as like the promised land, but when I get married, then I will be happy all the days. Married couples all are laughing right now, by the way, in case you're wondering, like, that is not how it works. It's not how it works. I got a secret here that'll blow your mind. It's gonna blow your mind. That person you were when you were single, you're still that same person when you get married. Like, I, I know, like, ladies, please don't go on that, but I'm gonna change him. 
No, you will not. Like, I hate to break it to you, human beings do not change that much. Like we grow, we evolve, we transform from glory to glory. Thank God for Jesus, right? We grow, but like those idiosyncrasies, those little things, you're like, oh, I love that about him. That'll probably stay there and might drive you nuts later in life. And the things that you're like, oh man, this is driving me crazy, but he'll change for me because I mean, look at me. You are incredible, they will not change. And it is very unwise. I know I'm talking to singles again, just, Go with me, church. We're trying to help them out here. It is very unwise and very unfair to marry someone with that presupposition that they will change to make you happy. Even if they changed, you wouldn't be happy. Which is why we need the third strand in the cord. It's God. It's God. He's in the center. He is the key to success. But here's a big implication. I know we're on the married people thing, God's purpose for marriage. Here's the big implication for married people. And married people, please listen to me. I've seen this enough at this point to say this is a thing. And it, if, it, if it hits you, it's because it hits a lot of us. Here's a big implication for married people. The cord of three strands, God at the center of every successful long-term marital relationship. The same things you did that helped you thrive as a single person. Check this. Think about it. What were those things? The same things that you did that helped you thrive as a single person are the same things that you must do to continue to help you thrive as a married person, especially if you want to stay married. Here's what I mean by that. When you were single, you were all up in community. You were with your microchurch. You were bearing one another's burdens. You were active in God's word. And then there's this shift that happens. And I don't know where it comes from other than well-intentioned, us and demonic hijacking. I don't know where it comes from other than that, but all of a sudden we think, man, I had these great relationships, this great community, I had this great relationship with God, and then often in Christendom especially, we get married and it's just you and the spouse, you and the wifey, and everyone else takes a backseat and they are so far gone, and microchurch doesn't see you anymore, and your community doesn't hear from you anymore, and the Bible's getting dusty, but you're like, but I got my spouse, and it almost feels venerated in some weird form of godliness, That, but I'm, but I'm just with my wife. Listen to me, friend. Like you needed community when you were single, you desperately need community when you're married. I can't even count at this point the amount of conversations I have, and I primarily have them with guys because I'm a guy, and I'm, I'm talking to guys, and I was talking to one guy recently. He's like, man, and I have this conversation regularly at this point, especially with newlywed couples. If you are newlywed in the room, please listen to me. I love you. I care about you. He said, man, I, I, was, in, I, I was in church involved in ministry, great relationship with, with God's people, guys who would encourage me, who would call me out when I was starting to drift, like, and, and it was awesome, and, and God was working in my life and through my life, and I had worship, mission, community, all that stuff, I had it going on, and then I got married. He's like, and I, and I really just kind of dropped all of that in lieu of my wife, and my wife became, in some ways, probably not his worship, but, but my community, for sure, and, and in some ways, even the mission and and it turned out very poorly. And we regularly sit down with couples who get married, go off in isolation and, and come back around hopefully before it's too late, but it ends up poorly. The same things, married people, listen. The same things that you needed to thrive as a single person are the same things that you need to thrive as a married person. And I would argue you need them even more because all of hell is against your marriage. which means married people, thank God for your spouse. Paul says, have sex with your spouse, but do not make your spouse your God. You need community with other people you're not married to, just like you did before you were married. Why? Because your spouse will not always make you happy and sometimes they'll even make you mad. And when they do, who are you gonna go to? That's gonna encourage you, get in your face in love and say, bro, Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself. You're gonna say, oh yeah, yeah, thank you. Pray with me. And you jump back in. You need it, I need it, we need it, especially if you're going to make it. God's purpose in marriage is his glory and people's flourishing. Now, Paul does address one specific issue that is threatening the marriages here at the church in Corinth, uh, which, by the way, is the number one cause of divorce for marriages in our current cultural moment. So if you're wondering if it is applicable, the answer is certainly yes. Here's the problem in Corinth. Um, we're about to talk about sex again. Like, oh, my gosh, I thought we were done. No, here we go. Uh, here's a specific problem in Corinth. They, they lived in these extremes. And so on one side of the extreme, there's rampant sexual immorality. You remember this story, and people are sleeping with whoever, and someone's sleeping 
sleeping with his father's wife and they're even celebrating it. And Paul's like, that's wrong and weird. Don't do that. Stop. But then there was this other extreme. There was this philosophy, this religious heresy called Gnosticism. And, and Gnosticism basically viewed anything having to do with the, the human body as evil and wicked and wrong. And so while on one extreme, there was this uh, sexual immorality, on the other extreme, there was this Gnostic idea that I am now too spiritual for sex. I don't engage in those physical things because, and Paul is like, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Don't, don't do that. That is not the approach. Look at it in chapter 7, verse 1. They had written questions to him, basically saying, hey, we're dealing with this philosophy. Is this right? And, and Paul says, now, for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sex with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty, i.e. sex, to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Now, lest you freak out. In the same way, everybody say, in the same way. In the same way, this is very important here. Do not spiritually manipulate the text. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And do not deprive one another except perhaps by mutual consent for a shortened period of time that you may devote yourselves to prayer or prayer and fasting is what that original language word says. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that you all were as I am. And then he goes into his whole thing about singleness. Notice the vision here. The vision is mutual submission. This is not the husband forcing the wife into any sort of sexual acts or, or interactions. This is not the wife forcing. This is a vision of mutual submission together as husband and wife and partnership. And, and I, it, it needs to be said because it's in the passage and we want to walk through the text if we spoke a few weeks ago that your sexuality is not uh, the center of you, but it is a part of you, it's an important part of you, this part of your marriage matters as well. Just, just so we all can be on the same page empirically based off of the research, the number one cause of divorce in our cultural framework is sexual morality and infidelity, adultery. This part of marriage matters, and, and I'm not gonna camp on this for too long. Here's what I would encourage you. If you are a married couple in the room, online, I'm not even gonna look at anybody so you don't freak out, okay? I, don't, I have no idea. Um, and you are struggling in your sex life, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. A trusted friend, maybe it's your microchurch leaders, maybe it's a mentor couple that you have in the church, uh, maybe it's a, a therapist. We have a whole list of great counselors, many of whom have a specialty in working with couples when it comes to sex and their sex lives. Like, if you're in a difficult spot in that arena, do not be like the Gnostic heretics who said, well, that doesn't matter at all. Yes, it does. <laughs> and it also matters to God. And destigmatizing that conversation is huge. See, God has incredible plans and a purpose for your life, whether you're single or you're married. And, and I'm praying, well, really, that you and I, that we would say yes to God's purpose. God has a purpose for singleness. God has a purpose for marriage. And I'm praying that you and I, that we would say yes to God's purpose. Jump back with me to verse 17. Paul writes a lot of this and he says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation God has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And, and this is the rule I lay down in all of the churches. Paul says, listen, whether you're single or you're married, both states equally contribute to God's kingdom advancing on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to use both situations, both seasons to contribute equally to his bigger purpose and plan to bring about healing and redemption and restoration to see open heaven realities where this whole thing we're talking about in this series where it's on earth as it is in heaven. And I get that for many of us, the holidays are exciting and they're a great, amazing time. And for many of us, they're painful and they're filled with difficult reminders of disappointment and loneliness and even we have a whole team of intercessors that pray before service and working to get that even during service and so many so many prayers that went up about people who this season in particular brings about this deep pain of loneliness and our prayer is that you would find meaningful community here at Greenhouse there's some amazing people here but here's my prayer for you, that you and I, that we would seek God's purpose for our lives in our current season, in our current moment, in our current relational status. And ask the question, God, what is your purpose for me as I stand today? 
The goal for us is no matter where we find ourselves, single, married, widowed, whatever relationship status you might be in, wherever we find ourselves is to be faithful to God's calling wherever he has placed us. And it's a trust exercise. It's really trusting God like it was, like we talked about with our sexuality. It's, it's trusting God that he's not withholding good from you. It's trusting God that he has not forgotten about you. It's trusting God that he sees you and he loves you and he cares for you and he will not waste a single yes that's given to him in faith. Esau Macaulay, who's a New Testament professor at Wheaton College, says it like this. The question is not how would I be faithful to God in the life that I've always wanted in theory, but how will I be faithful to God in the life he has given me now? Listen to me, friends. So much of the success in whatever future season awaits you is dependent on your faithfulness in the current season you're in right now. I'm gonna say that one again because that's true. So much of your success, and it's so easy, and I get it, we're discipled by culture that's always looking for the next thing. Like we've got, we want the microwave, give it to me in a minute, sort of solution to everything. It's so easy to be in the moment and be actively thinking about the next moment. It's why there's a whole movement of mindfulness, which basically just means, can we learn to live in the present? It's difficult for us. Can we admit this, friends? In our modern world, it's difficult for us to live in the moment, which is dangerous because so often in the moment, God is trying to put things in you and take things out of you that he knows you will need to succeed in the future. And if you do not live in the moment, you will miss it. And because he loves you, he wants you to live in undivided devotion so you get every bit of what he knows you'll need for the future to flourish and thrive like he intends because he loves you. He's not trying to hold out on you. He's not trying to keep good things from you. He has amazing things for you. He, I know some of you all are planners. He's a better planner than you. Go, it's amazing. It's wild. He's got it all mapped out, which means this current moment is not an accident. It matters deeply to God, and it matters to you. Be faithful in this season. Don't grow weary in doing good, for if you faint not, Scripture says, you will reap a harvest. I think about the Guyana crew. Right now we have a whole group of, of people joining live in Guyana on Zoom. Matter of fact, why don't you turn around and say, hey, Guyana. Turn around to the camera and say, hey, Guyana. This, this all sort of happened in the pandemic. We went online. We didn't have a church online before the pandemic. Then that's all we had for 10 months and, and sort of accidentally from our vantage point, but obviously God had an amazing plan and purpose. Uh, we had people online start joining and then we had a whole group online start joining and then God started doing stuff. And then we came back and started doing services in person again. And we realized we don't have the manpower to, to both give supernatural hospitality in the room and online. And so we reached out to some of the crew from Guyana and said, hey, you guys are joining online already. Could you be like the hospitality team online? By the way, if you join online regularly, we still need that right now. You could send something in the chat or shoot me an email or email Lisa or send them a flare. Just let us know somehow and we'll get you in there. But, but we said, hey, would you be willing, Guyana crew, to be like our online hospitality team and host and make it a welcoming environment? And they said, of course we would. And so they've ho they hosted our online, church online, up until their meeting in person. And I just, I just thought this week, I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if our crew in Guyana would have said, wait, what do you want us to do? Like, chat, chat people? Like, I don't know why that's a... We're just going to be like, like typing to people on the internet? Like, that's, that's the ministry you're going to invite us to? Like, nah, we're good, Pastor John. Check this. They're hosting people now in person. Like we've got people, they've got an office space in Guyana. They're doing ministry. They're, they're watching the service right now and they're gonna jump off. They're gonna do prayer. They're gonna all sorts of amazing stuff they're doing. They're, they're doing their generosity adventure in Guyana. They're doing all this amazing incarnational ministry. But I wonder what would have happened if when the first opportunity for faithfulness was given, they would have said no. I'll tell you what most likely would have happened. None of that. None of that. How do you know? Because it's a Bible verse. <laughs> When you are faithful with little, God makes you ruler over much. Here's what I want us to consider this morning, online, Guyana, in the room, wherever you're at. Some questions to consider for application. First one is this. Are you being faithful? And I'd love for you to write these down and you can take a picture of it. Are you being faithful to cultivate relationship with God in worship right now? 
Remember, we use our schema for discipleship here at Greenhouse. It's worship, mission, and community, living in the green. It's, it's what we envision, a real simple way to describe what it means to be a disciple, a follower, an active follower of Jesus. Are you being faithful to cultivate relationship with God in worship right now? Because I hate to break it to you, but as you move along in seasons of life, it only gets harder. You're like, I'll have so much more time when I'm married. I'll have way more time when I have kids, said no one, right? Like, we know this. Like, are you being faithful right now? Because it's only gonna get more difficult. But if you build out habits and rhythms right now, they can continue as you move along in seasons of life. Are you being faithful to God to cultivate deep relationship and worship right now? Number two, are you being faithful with the community that God has given you right now? Man, Pastor John, I'm in a, I'm in a microchurch. I mean, I go like once every six weeks or so and I just kind of show up and leave and I never really interact with everybody. I mean, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm there. Okay. How is your marriage gonna work if you operate marriage like you operate your community right now? You play how you practice. Are you cultivating relationships within the community God has given you right now where if you fast forward that into your next season, which by the way, statistically, the majority of us are gonna get married, okay, praise the Lord, but, but statistically, like, if you fast forward your current approach to community, is it going to scale well with your person? If the answer is no, change your approach so that it can. Last question. Are you being faithful to use your gifts and talents on mission? on mission, to see others experience and come to know God. One of the big purposes behind what Paul says, his call to singleness is like, listen, when you get married, it's amazing. There's all sorts of cool things that happen, but like life gets way more complex. And when you're single, in some ways you have more freedom. Life is simpler, why? So you can pursue the Lord and, and his kingdom purposes. Are you doing that now? By the way, if you're doing that now, it becomes much easier when you get married to say, man, I was doing all this stuff for God. Let's do it together. And it's amazing. It actually cements you together as a team even more. It's what God intended. But if you're not on God's mission now, it will be exponentially harder when you get married. And now you have all other interests to consider. Are you being faithful to use your gifts and talents on mission to see others experience and come to know God? I want us thinking, and by the way, this, there's a continuum here. There's no guilt trip or shame. You're like, oh my goodness, we're just totally making marriage about ourselves. Yeah, I get it. That's what culture does all the time. You can just change your mind. It's called repentance. Say, we're not gonna do that anymore. Babe, we're gonna like, we're gonna use our home for God's glory. We're gonna, we're gonna invest in other people for God's glory. We're gonna make disciples together. We're gonna be a team in ministry. Yes, now you're on track. Just, just start doing it now. It's fine if you haven't been doing it for five years, 10 years, 74 years. That would be a long time being married. You get what I mean? Just start doing it now. Start doing it now. You said, John, how in the world could I? Like, it's, this sounds great. Like, you're, you're right. I guess the Bible, so I can't really argue with that. But like, it, it, there's so many things that are going on. It's so easy to get distracted. There are so many other things vying for my attention. And then you throw in the comparison trap of other single people or other married people and their highlight reel that we call social media. And it only fuels that. And I'm, ah, it's so easy to be thinking about the next thing or the next season or be, spend the majority of my time thinking about a life that's not mine. Which I'm sure is not a good idea. How would I ever do this? And the answer is the same way we ever do anything, Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. It's where Paul ends most of this in verse 23. He says, you were bought at a price. He brings back this refrain from chapter six where he says, when he's speaking of their sexuality and walking in God's path that he's designed for their flourishing, he says, for you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God. And if you wanna start thinking about purpose, Jesus's commitment, remember he had a purpose. What was his purpose? To live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to die the death that we deserved so that we all have hope in this life and the life after. But that purpose came at an immense price, namely his own life. And he was not exactly thrilled about that purpose. But his faithful commitment to God's purpose granted you eternal lives. He took our sins. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing because we never could handle our sin debt. And he bore our loneliness. 
on the cross. He's completely separated from the Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bore our loneliness so he could promise us, which he does, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Will I struggle with feeling lonely at times? Of course, you're a human being, but you do not have to remain in the status of lonely. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We're here as well. From the day he was born, Jesus lived this out. He walked in the purposes of God, committed to his father's business, to his divine purpose, even in Gethsemane, where he is literally sweating blood because he does not want to do it. He says at the very end, God, but not my will, but yours. No one glorified the Father more. His life, the life and example of Jesus gives us a paradigm and a model to follow and serves as an example in every facet of our lives, in any season of our lives, single or married. And his grace, by the way, will help and empower us to walk in faithfulness. And if we think about Jesus's devotion to the purposes of God, if, if, if Jesus's undivided devotion, remember Paul says, I'm writing this so that you can serve the Lord, an undivided devotion. If Jesus's undivided devotion led to the salvation of mankind, and now he is working in and through us for his glory, can you imagine what it would look like if a bunch of ordinary people like you and I online in Guyana said, God, I might not have much, but you have all of me, I'm committed. Teach me, lead me, and help me to follow. Can you imagine what that could do in your workplace, at your job, in your schools, in your neighborhoods? Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, I'm asking that you would move right now by your spirit. Lord, we cast aside all shame and condemnation and asks that you would bring your conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that calls us deeper, that leads us more passionately into the things that you are calling us to do. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of the lives that you've given us, of the time that you've given us. Lord, our life, we're not our own. We've been bought at a price and we wanna glorify you. We know that, that even our flourishing is wrapped up in that faithful obedience. Lord, we know it, you're so good. Give us courage to follow.